0: Jam packed double helping of the Empire podcast this week. We say, Do you say to Lost Transmission star Simon Pegg? Do you say to Ride Like a Girl star Sam Neill? And. Do you see, Mandalorian, you are an insignificant speck of dust floating away on the galactic breeze to the legendary Werner Herzog, blimey! All that and more on the movie podcast that lost out on an award this week. But don't feel sorry for us, because sometimes going without a trophy for a long period of time, say 30 years or so, makes the eventual winning even sweeter. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Award Losing Empire podcast. Congratulations, of course, go to History Extra for winning Podcast of the Year at the <laughs> PPAs, the Oscars of the British publishing industry. Is that not a Newman and deal sketch? That's what I thought. It's, a, it's, it's just a podcast where people are going, you see that Podcast of the Year award? That's you, that
1: is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Amon's too young; he won't remember it. <laughs> That's no. what that it
0: is. Um, it's this was uh, Newman and Bedil Amon. They were they were on the Mary Whitehouse experience, and uh, they were very funny.
2: I shall take your word for it, Chris.
0: <laughs> yes. Anyway, congratulations to History Extra. Unfortunately, now, uh, as is the Conan way, I must crush my enemies, see them driven before <laughs> me, and hear the lamentations of the women. And speaking of my enemies, this week I'm joined by three <laughs> colleagues of such lethal cunning. As you've already heard, James Dyer is here by, air quote, popular, close air quotes, demand. Uh, <laughs> Helen O'Hara is also here, the geek queen. Hello, how are you?
1: Hello, I'm very well, thank you.
0: Excellent, excellent. With your brand new microphone, oh, sounding all spick and span. <laughs> very exciting. And back in the fourth chair, the revolving fourth chair, is the best dressed man in film journalism, Amon Warman. How are you, sir? I'm well. I'm oh, well, good, good, good. How
3: much sleep have we all had? I had three hours sleep. Not a lot, actually. I'm pretty tired this morning, so this is going to be a sizzling conversation.
4: <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? What, wow. Why were you
3: up so late? Uh, I was uh, watching Hamilton for part of it, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is very exciting. But we'll get onto that a little bit later. Um, yes, things to watch, things for watch things to watch for podcasts primarily.
0: Okay, yeah. Let, this I was up editing a podcast until really, really late last night, then I had to get up at six a.m. this morning to watch. Hamilton, um, so that was a lot of fun. I'm still not entirely sure what's going on. I may actually be asleep. Who knows? But anyway, <laughs> let's get on with the show. We got a lot to get through today. So you know, guys, the other day I was walking down the street, um, respecting social distancing. Obviously, I had a Obviously. mask on, of course. When a young street urchin came up to me, and he said,
4: "Please, sir,
3: can." Can you make sure that the much loved and respected film fact section is back this week?
1: It oh, would good make Lord.
3: ever so much a world of difference to the nation's morale and my general health. Did you, you kill him? Guys? <laughs> he sounds I, like ruffled, a
0: <laughs> I ruffled that young scallywag's hair and I gave him a shiny sixpence and I said, Yes, young urchin. So here it is. The fact section is back. And this week it is known only as History Extra. And Jimbo, you are up first Oh really? Must yes, I? Yes, because I told you I didn't have any sleep, so I'm going to sleep now. <laughs> I've set my alarm for an hour from now. you should oh. be coming to the end.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. It's possible. It's possible that last week's was a little excessive on runtime. I may have got some somewhat <laughs> negative feedback on social media about this, so did I'm going to keep this one a little bit, a little bit, from people still in comas from having I'm listened cu- to it. I but cut stuff I, out of that. <laughs> did you? Yeah. You absolute trash. <laughs> the version integral it'll be out there um <laughs> no okay so <laughs> what i have for you this week is a simple statement of fact and it is this star trek is at the center of of all things. Mm -hmm. Specifically, the Borg are responsible for Donald Trump. Now, this is a fact that I actually have known (laughs) for some time. Already
1: Um, not a simple statement, but go ahead.
3: (laughs) But but Edward Llewellyn on on Twitter reminded me of this fact, and I thought, you know what, that is an excellent thing that I can use to bore my quote-unquote friends with on the podcast (laughs) tomorrow. So, cast your minds back to 2004, (laughs) when the Republican senatorial candidate for Illinois was one Jack Ryan. No, not that one, uh, but rather the ex-husband of Jerry Ryan, Star Trek: Voyages Seven of Nine, and currently featuring in Star Trek: Picard. Now, Seven and Jack had quite a messy divorce, and we all know you do not mess with an angry Borg. So Seven made her divorce records public, including an allegation from her that Jack Ryan, not that one, had pressured <laughs> her to have public sex in a number of in a number of swingers clubs in several cities, asking her to uh assimilate with the collective as it were now this kind of summarily blew up the campaign of jack ryan not that one and he dropped out of the race presumably to join the cia and in his place the republicans recruited a guy called alan Keynes, who was rubbish and was soundly thrashed in the election by a young upstart named barack obama who took that senate seat from him and from there launched his presidential campaign so we can thank the borg for barack obama So far, so good. However, as we all know, if Obama's presidency hadn't inflamed the racism of Donald Trump and his fragile ego hadn't been so bruised at that infamous White House Correspondents' Dinner, Trump would likely have never run for president. And so, in what is basically the plot of Star Trek First Contact, the Borg essentially have gone back in time and set us on a path for destruction and eventual assimilation, uh, even if we did get Barry along the way. So resistance is indeed... Futile. That is my fact.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, she wasn't really acting on behalf of the Borg that we know, was she? Because she like doesn't act on behalf of the Borg. Oh, in- like she looks they announce right? these
3: things, Helen. I'm
1: just saying.
3: That's why the Borg are so nefarious.
1: Ah, nefarious.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay. Mm. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. So you're you're working off the uh, the idea that, a Trump ran for <laughs> for office whenever he was singled out for criticism or jokes.
3: I mean, it's it's it's. it's I don't know that that's, anyone that's can definitively say that, but it's yeah. generally held that's belief. Generally like, held, yeah. in fact, yeah. you can almost pinpoint it down to a very specific event when he's lampooned at the White House Correspondence Dinner, and yes. uh, John Lovett, who wrote the gags from that, has repeatedly taken responsibility <laughs> for the Trump presidency because of those gags, because uh, he was called out quite. Well,
0: someone's though. got to take responsibility for the Trump <laughs> presidency because they sure as shit aren't. Uh, no, they are right? <laughs> okay, that's that's interesting. Um, uh, but this was before she was in Voyager, right? Back then? No, 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 no. No, no. 94? 2004. 2004. 2004. Okay. Sorry, at least at 94. Blimey. No. Blimey O'Reilly. Okay. Mm. Wowzers. Helen.
1: Hello. I was going to do the, uh, the the fact that I tabled last week um, in order to improv uh, fact. So this is about the uh, ability of film to change history, because I feel like we don't always credit it with enough power in in that respect. And I think it is worth remembering that film can do very, very good things and also really, really, really bad things as in the case I'm about to tell you about. Because we're back, I'm afraid, in the dawn of film in 1915 (laughs) with D.W. Griffith's racist film, Uh, The Birth of a Nation. Uh, And The Birth of a Nation was an extraordinary film for its time in terms of filmmaking techniques, but it was hamstrung by the fact that it is the most racist thing in all a world of racists. Uh, So it was a film that actually goes out of its way and literally damages its own storytelling to glorify the Ku Klux Klan who come in to this, uh, this conflict to save apparently helpless white women from apparently rapacious black men, who, by the way, are also played by white people in blackface, just to make it even more offensive than it was already, which is which is saying something. At the time, in 1915, the Ku Klux Klan basically didn't exist. It had had been suppressed under Ulysses S. Grant in the late 1870s after its finding in 1865. By the mid 1870s, they'd basically been responsible for so many atrocities that Grant had sent troops to basically dismantle the clan. So it was dead. It was dead. And then uh, this film based on the book, The Klansman by Thomas Dixon Jr., came out. It was apparently the first film ever shown at the White House to President Woodrow Wilson. Um, so the story goes, although they're not apparently 100% sure that that was the very first, but certainly the first publicly announced film at the White House. Um, and it actually inspired people, particularly a guy called William Joseph Simmons, to restart the Klan. So basically he had um, he was recovering from a car accident. He heard about this nationwide success because obviously it wasn't day and date release at that, that time. Um, so he was there in Georgia. So ahead of its sort of Georgia premiere, he basically got some guys together to burn a giant cross on a hill 10 days before the film premiered uh, on a hill called Stone Mountain outside Atlanta and basically announce the rebirth of the Klan. So that by by the early 1920s, the Klan had over 5 million members in the US from zero when that film came out. So basically, film can do bad things as well as good. And it's worth remembering the massive power that film can have. Obviously, that was one of the most successful films of its day. It's sort of like, you know, Avatar, but without any kind of criticism of empire or colonialism. Um, The NAACP, by the way, had protested The Birth of a Nation throughout its existence. Um, Black people all over the US, in fact, protested the film. Um, and That was what they were worried about. They were worried about black people protesting against this racist film rather than the fact that the fucking Klan was reborn as a result of it. Anyway, that's the darkest fact I think we've had so far. You're welcome. I feel
0: well, good. Thanks, Helen. Yeah, this this week is it's a real real chuckle fest, isn't it? You yeah, uh... <laughs> fucking hell. You're really both testing my powers of segway this week. <laughs> really, yeah, really sorry. Oh, I'm on for the love of god. Please tell me there's some levity in your fact.
2: A little bit. A little bit.
0: Oh my god. It's a dog that- die.
2: <laughs> I should point out that this fact does not contain can basketball. Kill people. <laughs> <laughs> this fact, the power to kill. Yes, that. No. Um. No. There, there, there's not uh, a thing about basketball in this fact. Uh, <laughs> please, so I, please, I, I, I want like basketball. I Bring that.
0: basketball back. <laughs> please, for I beg of you, for the love of God.
2: Um, But my fact begins at Disney in 1995 and concerns the casting on a little animated film called Hercules.
0: Um, Everyone loves Disney. Disney never did anything (laughs) bad or racist.
2: (laughs) Uh, um, Is that true? No. Um, But uh, Michael Eisner had just taken over as Disney chief at the time, and he actually had his eye on Jack Nicholson to play Hades. Um, Hmm. So they courted him and Nicholson was very, very interested. He went along to uh, Disney's building in Glendale with his kids. They showed him some artwork. They actually also showed him some test work, which involved (laughs) his lines from a few good men set to animation. So somewhere in Disney's vaults, there's footage of an animated Hades saying, take caution in your turn, Commander. I'm a fair guy, but this fucking heat is driving me absolutely crazy.
0: (laughs) Oh, 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 we need that. They need to
2: release it. It would be amazing. But that is not the fact. The fact is Nicholson wanted to play the vault, but he had some conditions because for Batman in 1989, his contract to play the Joker also included profit points from not just the film, mm-hmm. but sequels. And he was looking for a similar deal for Hercules, including the merchandise uh. receipts that Warner of had given him on in Batman, but Disney didn't want to play ball. And that is how Batman being the goat that he is, with the Joker's plans once more
1: <laughs>
2: uh, um, and, to, and to bring it back to the tone of this podcast apparently the role eventually did fall to james woods uh who yes. you know i do have to grudgingly admit that he's very good in the role but as we all know he's a <laughs> trump loving ass in real life so and, there you and go and thereby <laughs> you continue the
0: theme that i began and helen continued
1: <laughs> oh, <my gosh. laughs> I'm sorry Bloody
0: hell, guys. This is meant to get the podcast off to a good start. I
1: feel
0: weepy and maudlin. Oh, poor old Jerry Ryan. Her husband's a shitbag. What's going on there? Yeah. What an utter bin
3: suit that gentleman is. Yeah. And the second season of his show was really not as good as the first. <laughs> and don't get me started on the sum of all fears. Don't knock the sum of all fears. It's great.
0: At least we have clear and present danger. How dare you, sir! That's so good. So fucking good. Uh, all right. Okay. Jimbo every week I look for a loophole in order to disqualify you um, <laughs> <laughs> I think the loophole I'm going to find this week is that uh, Jerry Ryan is predominantly a TV actor and not oh a film actor god.
2: oh my god oh my god oh boy <laughs> that's a blow. No, no,
0: listen no, Trump. No, Here's okay. if you can name without googling in the next 20 seconds three <laughs> films that Jerry Ryan has been in
1: three will,
0: three
2: Oh,
3: come on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> listen, listen for the sounds of typing. Listen for the sounds of Googling. Okay, okay. me what is Jerry think, Ryan's filmography? <laughs> um, uh, no, Bosch is TV. Obviously, Doctor Trek is TV. Uh, she's been in Arrow, that's TV. She was in Helix, that was TV. Um...
1: You're not having your here.
3: I know. no worries. I think she was on Family Guy at one point. She's definitely... Oh, hang on. She was in... No, no. I was about to say she was in Mortal Kombat, but actually it was a TV series of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: <okay.
3: laughs> I've got absolutely nothing. I've got absolutely nothing. Oh. She, she was, was in, in Down With
1: Love. Oh, yes. Dracula 2000. And I'm Dracula now looking on the internet. 2001. Yeah.
3: Um, yeah.
0: There you go.
4: Dracula she
1: 2000. She was in
0: Down the With kids. Love. Yes. Yeah.
1: Was. She was the stewardess. There she you was. Go. She was good us. in that.
0: Yes. But um, sadly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: but also, I, you know, I think we all know where this is going. I have to go for the one that just didn't, you know, depress the hell out of me. Uh, what was that? <laughs> it was Amon's.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, was Amon's now? was the least depressing. Oh.
0: There was no adultery. There was no Donald Trump. I
1: mean, it ended with James Woods. Jack Nicholson,
0: cheers. Oh, I know it ended with James Woods, but it had a bit of Jack Nicholson. And everyone loves a bit of Jack Nicholson. So for that reason, I'm going to give this week's point to the rotating fourth chair occupied this week by Amon Warman. Woo! Woo! I think...
3: I will will (laughs) not woo.
2: (laughs) Fourth chair... As you know, has really made a comeback
0: in the last few weeks. I think fourth chair has won the last three weeks in a row, I think. Although, shared a point with Helen on at least one of those occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, Jimbo, I don't think, has won since his, his barnstorming mm. Romeo and Juliet fact. <laughs> so maybe, and I, I realise that I'm, I'm probably setting up a track for myself here, but perhaps he needs to go back to his 20-minute theatrical productions.
4: <laughs> no,
1: no, I don't think
3: so. and, you know... It is. Next week, it's going to be the Stackhouse filibuster. I'm going to try and do like an hour and a half flat, and just run out the clock, so you have to give it to me.
0: Is, is there any chance we could all have like 4D X chairs by next week, so that we can actually we can move left, when you're moving left, and you know, whenever you're talking about wind and rain, there's you know water splashes in our face. That that, you would, can be, that would be live the story with
3: me.
2: But yes. Yay for team Force chair. It must be nice. It must be nice <laughs> to
3: have you, with on your
0: side.
3: doesn't oh, Unbelievable. Oh, come on, Unbelievable. come on. Unbelievable. I was so close to being in the room where it happens and it all got oh. fucked. <laughs>
0: uh, all right. Well, anyway, that is it for this week's fact Section, a.k.a. History Extra. Time now for our first guest this week. I think... He's still the record holder for appearances in the podcast, but I can't be entirely sure. I think Tom Hiddleston might be running him close either way. It is Simon Pegg and he is back, back, back this week in Lost Transmissions, which is a serious drama featuring perhaps his best, certainly his most serious performance yet as a British record producer in the grip of paranoid delusions. Simon and I caught up over Squadcast earlier this week and talked about a whole bunch of stuff, including what he's doing in lockdown and his own struggles with mental health. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast in lockdown, of course, because we're responsible that way, by the star of Lost Transmissions, Mr. Simon Pegg, making a triumphant return to the Empire Podcast. How are you, sir?
5: It's good to be back.
0: <laughs> Feels like coming home. Oh, it's good, isn't it? Feels warm, like you know, retreating to the warmth of the womb. It is.
5: It's like a single slipper, like one of those <laughs> mono slippers that you see in magazines on airplanes. <laughs>
0: For like a nice pair of mahabis, the uh, the slippers oh. I've I've always seen on Facebook, but I've never been able to afford because they're like <laughs> ninety quid or whatever. It's crazy. A shoe. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the diamonds that make them more comfortable. Ultimately, but yeah, yeah uh, that, that does but work. yeah, um, but yeah, how, how you doing, man? You good?
5: Really good. Yeah, just um, you know, tootling along at home. Been doing a lot of writing, and that I found the whole lockdown situation to be fairly conducive to that, just because. I think if it, if it wasn't for lockdown, I might be finding other things to do. And it's always hard to sit down, particularly with a blank page. But because if you don't do something with your mind in this situation, you're likely to go completely stir crazy. It's been a nice
0: focus. You, I guess you'd have been on mission by now,
5: right? I'd have been on mission, yeah. We we, we were all set to go to um, Venice. I was like literally eight hours from traveling to Venice, and they called me and said, don't come just yet. And then... Um, And then by Wednesday, the following... That was a Saturday night. By Wednesday, it was like we're shutting down. So it all happened really fast.
0: Bloody hell. So you you were packed. You were packed and ready to... Yeah, I was ready ready to to go. I just got got back
5: from LA. I've been over there doing some pitching and then got home and was going to have one weekend at home and then say bye to the family and be gone for a month or whatever. And then suddenly... Here we are, and it's actually been nice because I've got to spend loads of time with the folks, which is just, which is important.
0: So, you know, have you been in touch with McHugh in this time? Has he has he used this lockdown, to um, because he he reconfigured Fallout, didn't he?
5: Yeah, he was texting me speeches yesterday that, uh, that were really cool. Um, yeah, we we stay in touch all the time, and um, mm-hmm. you know, I always every now and again I just think oh, I wonder how he is, and I'll text him. Go, what's happening? And then um, and then I got a schedule the other week, which is um, a work of art and stretches for, like, two years or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's a funny one, McHugh, because I think he, he actually thrives on, on making it up as he goes along slightly, you know. He likes to kind of, like, shoot the big set pieces and then, by the seat of his pants, you know, create the narrative that links them all together and, and does it in a way that is just so effective. It's kind mm. of... He, he's like an extreme writer, Ha <laughs>
0: The analogy he used with me is that he likes to, you know, is like leaping off a cliff with the parts of a plane and then <laughs> assembling a plane in midair as you're plummeting. And I get the feeling yeah. that's actually how he writes. He just leaps off a cliff and literally yeah. tries to assemble a plane and then he has the draft finished by the time he by the time he doesn't hit the ground. Exactly. I've, I, my eternal
5: metaphor for working with McHugh is like, is, the, is uh, Gromit riding the train in the wrong trousers putting the trap down in front of it as it goes, you know. That's what it's like. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: it's absolutely wild so i've got i've got to ask you you're rocking a hell of a beard it's very cool
5: (laughs) it's big isn't it yeah
0: is this is this a benji beard is he is he is he gone hipster
5: i don't know i i had a look i had a look ready to go which was a lot more neat and then of course i just haven't bathed for no i haven't um i haven't i haven't i haven't self-groomed for uh, however long it's been even down in the, yeah. the gentleman's area. Oh, no, I've, I've completely, I've kept my balls in check. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll sit down in the makeup chair and say, uh, what are you going to do with this? You know, and see what they do. I quite like to have a big beard. I feel like Benji might be a bit, you know, morose after the last one because he had a bit of a hard time. So maybe he's just he been did, sat, didn't he? in his, sat in his pajamas.
0: He was so close. He came to the verge of death to the point where I thought, oh my fucking God, they've killed him. Yeah. They've killed Peg. This, is not, this isn't
5: on. I wanted there to be a lot more, a lot longer of him on the floor, and I wanted Ilsa to like have to give him like you know um, CPR to get him to wake up, so that the audience would go
2: <laughs> "No, please." <laughs>
5: <laughs> we, we had stuff to do. The film was already two and a half hours. The, the clock was ticking on those two nuclear bombs as well. It's not like really I, I had time to be revived. I had to get, had to get up and defuse the damn thing.
0: Yeah, so I, I can I can see that Benji's had a near death experience, uh, yeah, another one. But you know, in this case, you know, he may even he may even have died for a few seconds. And yeah. He's been brought back to life and uh, he lets himself go a little bit in terms of the he facial things. you know what I don't I don't want to wear a mask yeah fuck you Ethan Hunt and your <laughs> and your rules about facial hair I'm not going to conform anymore
5: You'd expect every every IMF agent really to be completely clean shaven because you've got to tear those things off so quick. No one ever goes, ow, when they take off a mask in This is
0: Impossible. It's always really smooth. It feels off. That's a good point. That's a good point. The beard would be tricky. The beard. You couldn't get the mask the top of the beard. It would bulge yeah. in the wrong areas. I've never done any prosthetic work where you just peel it off at the end of the day and go, bye.
5: It comes off real slow with lots of glue immobilizer and you're sat there going, ow, no, ow. That would be funny to see in Mission Impossible.
0: (laughs) Mark 4, where the person goes,
3: ow, no.
0: (laughs) What's the biggest uh, prosthetics job you've ever had? Uh, It was probably
5: for Ready Player One when I was the old Ogden Morrow. Because that was like a full, full head prosthetic and and um, uh, layers and, you know, and then a wig on top of that. And so that was about five hours I had to get to. I got to work at, I think, three in the morning and then sat in the makeup chair until nine or something.
0: Bloody hell. And is, that, is, yeah. is it as bad as they say? I've, I've never had anything like that done, thankfully. It's kind of
5: like it's kind of nice in a weird way. As long as you you go to sleep and they just fiddle with you. And you, you're just sort of very passive. And they,
0: laws against dad.
5: Yeah, I, I, you have to stay fairly conscious in case they do fiddle. But, um, yeah, no, it's kind of, it's kind of pleasant. It's getting it off is boring because, yeah, you want to go home. You know, it's like the end of the day, and then it takes another like two hours to get it off or whatever. But, um, um, yeah, I don't envy. I mean, I remember the guys were just going off to do Gary Oldman for the Darkest Hour afterwards, and I think his his schedule was like every morning like that for however long it was.
0: I mean at some point you just go look we'll fix it in post right we'll just you know I'll wear the I'll wear the dots in my face you'll just you'll just put it on afterwards it'll be it'll be fine I you know I mean there's
5: a chance it will get to that because um which would be a shame but um the stuff they're doing now with you know to 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 greater or lesser degree of success with with aging and stuff is kind of amazing
0: it is it really is but then what but, but you know I guess Rick Baker's already retired so I was going to say what would he do but he's 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 hung up the old um, prosthetics brush but you know it's a shame
5: someone like greg nicotero who's 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 you know he's paying a a show like the walking dead or something where there's loads and loads of stuff on the screen at once loads of zombies you that you've got to do that you can't do all those digitally because it will just cost a fortune but i mean in some cases certain certain looks i'm sure will be you know purely digital in Star Wars, in the Force Awakens, for me, which was a you know that was a full prosthetic, but then they 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 augmented the eyes to look less human, and or like um, Deep Roy in uh, Star Trek when he plays Keenser, he has these little eye stalks that they put in afterwards. So there's a there's ways to do it, and it's a mixture of the two, you know.
0: So I've been I've been looking for a way for the last few minutes to segue into lost transmissions. Um, I think I've got one. Oh wow. Because Lost Transmissions is a very serious film and you're fantastic in it, um, but it's, it's, it's not a laugh a minute, Simon. So, it's, yeah. <laughs> so I, was trying, I was trying to find a way to segue smoothly into, into it. Um, and I think it's, you don't wear prosthetics in Lost Transmissions. It is it is you. It is Peg au natural. It's all me. Yes, correct. One of the last times I interviewed you was in L.A. a couple of years ago for the magazine. Yeah um and you were in the middle of i think you were just about to wrap on Last transmissions but you I were, were shooting it yeah 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 you were telling me even then what a refreshing experience it was for you to to, to shoot it
5: i remember because i had all the tattoos on my hand for that um that theo has uh for the photo shoot because you can see them <laughs> when you look at that photo shoot you can see my hands are covered in these little tattoos oh really um, yeah but um yeah, it was um it was a really good experience. I really enjoyed it. It was it was I I think that's you know because that was one of the first times I opened up. But it was the first time I ever opened up about my mm. own sort of uh mental health issues and and it was because we've been making this movie and everyone had been talking about it and even though it was a completely different set of circumstances for Theo in the movie he's a schizophrenic. Um it was just the kind of dialogue was was very um was very alive and so coming in and talking to you whilst making that film I felt very sort of comfortable talking about stuff like that which was great
0: I, well actually is interesting because I, I remember being slightly taken aback by that because it was meant to be it was a big interview we had a, like an hour to have a chat and uh, you know obviously you and I've spoken a number of times going going way back Fair and so I was you know we we were setting off in a, in a certain direction uh, and then it became gradual I became gradually aware that we were steering into more serious Territory, um, and that you were you were burying your soul, so to speak. It was really really interesting to you know, suddenly have to you know recalibrate and 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 change the interview on on the on the sort of in the blink of an eye. Yeah, but like trying was, to get onto lost transmissions after talking about geeky shit like masks and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the same segways, same <laughs> I mean, Segues don't come easily, do they? I mean, honestly, it's ridiculous. But uh, but it was really interesting. I mean, you know, and uh, clearly, was this something that you'd been thinking about? You know, in, in in previous years because for example even on the world's end which you know I think I think now looking back especially looking at the world's end it's like oh wow there's there's a lot of your own story in this there's a lot of your own feelings in this and in Gary King but you weren't yeah. ready to talk about it in the world's end so what 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 really changed was it lost transmissions it changed everything
5: I think so and also just getting older you know I mean the world's end was very much a kind of um, expression of some of those feelings for me hey that's my um Twenty-four style phone ring coming out of there for <laughs> the listeners. Yeah. So try and keep keep it out of the geek zone. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of the you know that the, the playing Gary King was a real um, for me was quite a personal thing, and and um, we, we we really didn't want to take any of his issues um as being part of the comedy that was always going to be part of the drama of the film and there's always a a a vein of drama in the films i make with edgar Mm. but i think you know getting down the line a little further and being a little older and and not being so um protective of my own sort of sense of self i guess you know i used to be extremely nervous about anything personal talking about anything personal because i felt like I don't know. It just, it just made me paranoid, but I kind of loosened up, I think a bit over the years and just thought, you know what, this is, it's, it's a conversation to be had. And the amount of people that contacted me after that interview came out and the subsequent one after that in the guardian, people just saying, Oh, you know, thanks for talking about that. I was, I was utterly yeah. amazed by it. So I was, I'm I'm happy I did.
0: Because it must be a part of you as well that the, even though you know that it, it- we will do you good to speak about it, and will do other people good to speak about it as well. There must be part of you thinks this may be something then that every cack-handed interviewer like Chris here will bring up in a cack-handed <laughs> manner, uh, in, a, in a you know in a really with a really dreadful segue as well. So enough about makeup, Simon. Let's talk about mental health. <laughs> it's good. It's going to happen in every interview from now on.
5: Yeah. Well, I kind of the, the, the two things I was nervous about was I didn't want it to I didn't want it to appear like I was doing one of those stories where someone is half trying to make out that they're a bit rock and roll. Mm. And and I also, you know, knew that eventually this, it might come up again a few times, and it has done. And it does, and particularly when I'm promoting a film like Lost Transmissions, which is a film which directly addresses notions of mental health. It's it's a relevant question to ask as well. So, you know, it's okay. It's all fine.
0: view mm. in the movie is, uh, he's a schizophrenic, he comes off as medication, and he has several episodes i think maybe I, i'm not sure if that's a, the way to describe them in in, yeah. in the movie uh you, you know that's not your experience though is it i mean how much of it how much of it is you how much of it was it, was, was, was was research talking to other people to get that right yeah
5: it wasn't i mean it was a lot of research one thing i did want to do was get it right you know i didn't want to wander into the film and just play crazy which i think you know uh A a lot of actors probably do when they get cast as someone with mental health issues, because because they aren't discussed or, or, or or kind of talked about. And there is this idea of of crazy out there, which is a little bit romantic and a little bit kooky. And I wanted to understand what schizophrenia was as a condition is as a condition. And I did a lot of research. I met with schizophrenics. I met the person who the film is based on and, and we became friends and I spoke to him a lot about his experiences and how he felt about his delusions at the time and how he feels about them. Now I read a lot, watched a lot. And, um, and so, you know, because it wasn't anything within my realm of experience. Schizophrenics aren't sort of people with split personalities, which is what people tend to think schizophrenia is. It's mm-hmm. much more about kind of an overload of perception, which the brain tries to cope with and rationalize, but ends up making all these bizarre little narratives, which become paranoid delusions. And um, it was very, very interesting and uh, and very enlightening that to know that you can be a very ordinary functioning member of society and within a matter of days become someone who is standing on the street corner with no shoes on yelling at the sky that that happens a lot you know And people disappear into this this realm of of the of the insane uh, and are suddenly devoid of any kind of humanity people they're just ignored and and you know we mm-hmm. use we use the insane category all the time in society to to subtract people's credibility away you politician particularly trump does it all the time. He'll call someone a wacko or they, they use the notion of mental health as a way of, um, uh, of sort of stripping away people's humanity. And that's kind of what our attitude towards mental health is in society. And it's, that's not good.
0: Yeah. There's, there's still a stigma about it. There's still a stigma. I think about asking for help. There's still a stigma about saying I have a problem for everybody.
5: And I, I, I mean, you know, and not, not to exclude anybody from this cause, um, cause it's a completely universal problem, but as a, a a middle-aged man um uh, men have a lot of problems because they're constantly uh encouraged growing up to believe that um you know asking for help is a weakness and um or being weak is a bad thing you know accepting your own weakness is a an admission of of you, you know not being good enough and and those things are programmed into us from a very early age so a lot of men Never ask for help, and and there's a big statistic for you know guys of a certain age committing suicide because they're not
0: getting the help they need. There are moments in the movie um, Theo goes to some very very dark places, and it's you you have accessed places like this before in in your movies. You know, Sean, for example, you know is in a very dark place by the end of the movie, very very raw yeah. emotionally. Um, but you, does this feel like? Your rawest performance, does this feel like the one where you were most ready to tap into emotions like that?
5: Yeah, I was really happy that Catherine sort of thought of me. Catherine O'Brien, who's the writer-director, she sent me the script. And it came with a little note from my agents in, in LA saying, read this. And um, I was very happy that she'd sent it to me, just because that's not the kind of role I ordinarily get sent. You know, people kind of have an idea of what you do and what you can do, and they they... You come into mind for certain roles, and um and so it felt like, oh, this is a chance for me to actually do something other than you know other than be light-hearted, which is generally what i do. And it was um for that reason, really, really fun.
0: One of the things I think that that stands out uh, that makes you stand out uh, over the years as an actor is you have a real real naturalistic approach. You know, you can do more exaggerated styles of acting. You know, for, for example, those little bits of shorthand you have with Edgar. You know, it's with St. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, where yeah, you yeah. can you can deliver a heightened style of acting. But you know, even going back to the sketch stuff you did, uh, it feels sometimes there's a very conversational approach to your acting. Uh, that feels very natural with you. Feels very real. Yeah.
5: Well, I guess you know you're trying to create a truth when you're acting and. Um, I suppose it's just about wanting to be as truthful as possible. I think when, you know, the show big train was all about, um, the absurdity of mundanity and a lot of the time it was very, very absurd situations played utterly real documentary real. And, um, and so I guess I started out doing that kind of acting and I just find it's always, it's always more convincing if you don't look like you're acting uh mm. I, actors that that i watch and and maybe aren't aren't a fan of and there aren't many but if i see an actor <laughs> who i can see is acting then maybe although there are exceptions to that rule there are actors like jeff goldblum anthony hopkins who you watch them and you know they're acting but it's just so spellbindingly compelling mm. you know i mean jeff Goldblum has a kind of ultra naturalism which is just kind of breathtaking and I love watching him act and uh same with Anthony Hopkins but they're they're past masters at what they do they're actors who are so in control of their craft you don't ever feel unsafe when you watch an actor who's you can see their acting you, it makes you a bit nervous because you think oh I don't I don't believe in this so it comes from I guess wanting to give the most authentic performance possible
0: what's next for you apart from waiting for the uh, you know the the mission flag to drop and then off you go off you go to the races yeah that's it
5: september 7th is the um, is the off date in norway and um so i'm trusting that everything's in place to make that work safely um in the meantime i'm just busy writing and um and i can't wait to tell you what that's all about because it's uh, it's something i've been working on since 2012 on and off and oh, wow. um, it's finally, hopefully, seeing the light of day.
0: Bloody hell! And you got Truth Seekers as well. That's, that's Truth Seekers is coming out in it. October.
5: Yeah, that's mm. um, that's our first sort of stolen picture show. That's Nick, Nick, and Samson Ko in the lead roles. And uh, yeah, that's going to be really fun. It's a very, very. It's got a lovely mood. That show. I can't wait for people to see it.
0: <laughs> a nice mood, uh, lovely mood. Yeah. Oh well, listen. On that note, uh, I'll let you go, Simon. a Pleasure as always. Thanks, man. I'll you, mate. Cheers. Thank you. Okay, so that was Simon Pegg, and we will be talking about Lost Transmissions later on in the show. Next up, though, it is time for the listener question. Uh, This week, it's all about pubs. What with them reopening in the UK this week. Um, See how (laughs) that one goes. Uh, And a few people asked, principally the names I could find were at JW Colsey and at Mecca Lardzilla, about quite simply the best scenes set in pubs. Now, I think we may have done this before, but we're now eight years into the podcast, so we might have to recycle some <laughs> things uh, at some point. And maybe there have been some films set in pubs since we last did this question. Also, just for an extra wrinkle and to give us an extra option for next week, <laughs> I'm going to um, limit this to British pubs only. So, no oh, American man. bars. No,
3: fuck come you. On. P- pubs. Come pubs. On. The question Absolutely is very specifically pubs. Well, what no, do you got for me? What do you got? What do you got? what do you got? Oh, I, okay, okay. I mean, I've, I've, I've had a long think about this, and many of mine are bars slash saloons slash cantinas I'm just slash saying. the occasional almost nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> I will
0: allow a cantina. Nightclubs are right out.
1: Wait, why are <laughs> oh, cantinas okay? They're even further away.
3: And that doesn't let us get blade onto the podcast.
0: <laughs> I can't, well, when you say cantina, you mean basically just... The Cantina, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, the more size cantina. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll allow canteen. it's a that. space pub. It's a yeah, it's space a, it's pub, a isn't it? Space pub. Yeah, it's, it's a, a space, space
1: pub. pub. You will never
0: find a more wretched hive of scum and filth. We must be cautious. Yes, uh,
3: also, if you're saying pubs, then really you're limiting yourself exclusively to Irish theme pubs in any American film. So uh, you know. <laughs> oh, but there's a good one. No, there's
1: a good one in uh, The Departed, isn't there?
3: I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. An Irish theme. The
1: Departed. <laughs>
3: We can't have bars. That rules out, oh, so many things. So, Desperado rules yeah. the whole question. second half of *Dust Till Dawn. It's
1: very much a pub. It's definitely a pub, not a bar. It could be an inn. The Prancing Pony.
3: I knew you Yeah, well, that's <laughs> kind of a The dra- Prancing yeah. yeah. Pony yeah. Those are both yeah. pubs.
1: Yeah. 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 Okay, yeah. so those. As, yeah.
3: as is the Three Broomsticks.
1: Yes, or the Leaky yeah. Cauldron. Well, you could go that way. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Or the Leaky Cauldron, yes, indeed.
2: Yeah. There's obviously the Manners Maketh Man scene from Kingsman. Uh, mm-hmm. which is always a lot of fun to watch. And mm-hmm. one of the good. most used gifts on Twitter is that Sean the Dead one with Simon Pegg and <laughs> Zuby Zellen when he writes the Yeah, that's a lot of fun. Um to so that one. But yeah, you've really Winchester. limited me here, Chris. I had some good ones, man. Um I had they came together, I had X Men first class, I had Inglorious <laughs> Bastards. Tell me about it. Mm.
0: Yeah. that so, that scene is so funny. Well then, Bastards, Inglorious Bastards is I think also technically a pub. I it can be a pub. It can be a pub. It's
1: it's on, in the continental Europe. It's like it can be a pub.
0: It it forms the same. It's not a bar. It has the feel of a British pub, but in France.
3: I love that we're getting pub-splained by someone who, I believe, has never literally walked into a pub in his adult life. I have walked past one. I didn't like the look of it. I kept on
0: walking. Uh, no, this is the thing. Like you know, This is a question asked to... I mean, I don't know what your 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 drink status is, but uh, I'm teetotal. Drink. You don't drink. So there's three teetotalers, yeah. and James, now and again, will maybe sniff a glass of wine
4: but it sends him all
0: kinds of squiffy and then he's not able to focus on The Last of Us all the characters go blurry oh no I've killed uh, Emily or whatever her name is (laughs) what are
3: you
0: doing oh no a scrabbler got me oh no
3: yes the scrabblers (laughs) do give Emily a lot of jiff in that game it's it's very true
2: (laughs) I was even gonna get animated on you Pierce I had had Beauty and the Beast that that amazing Gaston song was in there oh no uh, that's a poem fuck it uh, the Incan
3: play. Know club what? roger rabbit
0: you know what i'm throwing up <laughs> at the door saloons <laughs> bars, cantinas, fuck
3: it go for it okay then i'm saying the hands-down <laughs> winner of bars is the very beginning of terminator 2 i need your clothes your boots and your motorcycle <laughs>
1: Yeah, but that's definitely a bar. Like, that's a 100% bar. I mean, it's, yes, it's
3: clearly a bar. It's a biker bar. It's not even remotely a pub.
0: Well, yeah. What's the name of the uh, nightclub in Terminator? Is Te- it Tech Noir? What a fucking great name. <laughs> <laughs> I, love I love that so much. technoir Because that kind of sums up Jim Cameron's whole approach, Absolutely it? Absolutely sums up <laughs> the whole aesthetic of the film. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And the music is still terrible.
2: I also watched Tangled for the first time last week. I know. Um, and that has a, an awesome. Uh, yes, is bar it the Rubber Ducky
1: or something? What's it called?
2: I think you might be right. Or
1: rubber the Rubber Ducky the, sounds the about cute right. Cute Duckling or something. It's something yeah. like the Duckling. And then it's yeah. full of the t- most dangerous people in the entire world. <laughs>
2: yeah. Um, I've got to say,
1: Tangled is one of the most, you know, I, I hadn't
2: seen that one until last week. And it had been hyped up by a lot of people. And I just thought it was good and not great, I've got to say. <gasps> yeah. I oh said my it. God. At me if you must. It's better than but Frozen. I said.
0: Helen, I'm surprised Ooh. you haven't said a certain Marvel Cinematic Universe movie.
1: Which movie is set in the pub? Well, the pub in the Blitz in London. In Correct. First Avenger. Yeah, that's uh, pretty good. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, and he goes back there after it's been bombed. Oh.
0: And how does he get served?
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure he really does. He, okay, so he here's the get- thing,
0: right? He's sitting there. At the table, so just for for context here, mm. this is Captain America, the First Avenger. Everybody, and as uh, so Chris Evans as 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 Helen's betrothed, Steve Rogers is at the at the uh, he's at the table drinking by himself because his best mate Bucky fell off a train. Oh no, Bucky's dead, <laughs> and so he's very very sad and he's drowning his sorrows. But here's the thing: his metabolism is so fast he can't get drunk. Can't get drunk, uh, but you know if he switches up to heroin, who knows what might happen after that? <laughs> Probably bad there-
1: things though. Do you think, Captain? Yeah, America, I think. I think. I don't
0: America feel like. An,
1: I don't feel like I'm on too much of a limb to say that might be bad.
0: <laughs> a coked up Captain America. That would be interesting. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so how is he getting the drink? Presumably, he's reached behind the bar and, and nicked some bottles. Pulled it himself. Yeah. yeah. Are we tracking this behaviour? Are we tracking this behaviour, Helen? I'm it's not, just, I don't.
1: You don't know he didn't leave money. He could have left money.
0: He we didn't Don't see it. Don't even start with me and it. Tony's parents it's again. It's a straight Don't line. Even, we've had from this discussion. Reaching behind a bar. Oh, this. Oh, this place is bombed out. No one really minds if I just take this bottle of booze. It's a straight line from that to oh, oh. No one really minds if I will just hide the truth about the death of Tony's parents from Tony. Oh, James, and
2: should we that? give Helen a the room? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> this, is, this is the room where this happens. Hashtag, 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 team <laughs> hashtag Team Team uh, Any other uh, MCU pub scenes?
1: I mean, again, they're mostly bars after that. I feel like, you know, um, you've got Luis hmm. in the bar where um, the barman is Stan Lee. But yes, that's, that's definitely a bar, do. not a pub.
3: I'm a, I'm a fan of the tangential Marvel Wolverine trying to recruit Wolverine in the bar scene. Oh yeah, uh, where Magneto and Professor X. fuck off. Yeah.
4: Okay. Oh,
1: but there is a pub in uh, first class, where Professor that. X, yeah, is, is, is hitting on the girl with the, uh, the non-matching eyes. It's mm-hmm. a very groovy mutation.
2: Oh, I didn't mean that scene. I meant the scene where I think it's more of a bar where Baz Bender's magneto sort of
1: yeah, that's a bar take,
0: takes his revenge on a couple people. On- the Nazis yeah 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 that's that's a great scene that's probably yes. the best scene in that movie it's fantastic the Frankenstein's monster uh music uh Henry Jackman is a cracker da, da. um there are people screaming at their podcast devices right now because there are some there's ones we just haven't we, we've mentioned Shaun of the Dead right but we mm-hmm. haven't mentioned yeah. Hot Fuzz or The World's End, both of which... No, there are no, no pubs in The World's no End. That's right. <laughs>
3: end, yeah. common, a common misconception. <laughs> all right.
0: here's, here's another quick sidebar. Uh, we're doing a little side quest while we're in oh, you no. know, talking about gaming parlance. So Emily has just killed one of the Scrabblers, and now she has to go off and get a ladder <laughs> so she can <laughs> rescue <laughs> Josh from, from, from the evil people, all right? So this is what we have to do. Can you name all 12 pubs in The World's End?
1: The World's End, there's one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> t- is it the two dogs? Is there a two dog, something like that?
3: Two, two headed dog. The, head the technoir, the prancing pony, <laughs> the, uh,
1: the green dragon, the,
3: the titty twister. The uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How many can you name?
1: <laughs> I've just did. I mean, that's it. <laughs> really?
0: That's it? <laughs> yes. I just learned them I've all literally... and put them
1: on a t shirt like you did. Ooh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I didn't put them on a t-shirt. I, I was given a t-shirt that had them on it, but, okay, you know, but you know, I, <laughs> I don't study that t-shirt like the Grail Diary. it's, you know, it's not, it's not off- Yes, I do. Yes, I do. I, I absolutely do that. Okay. I'm going to give it a go. Hole in the wall, mm-hmm. and then the world's end. Right. Okay. So
1: <laughs>
0: other people are going to be shouting at us about, uh, so far, the omission of Withnail and I, which has that, mm-hmm. uh, well, many pub scenes obviously, but it has the amazing scene where um, uh, I, Marwood, Goes yeah. into the toilet and sees the graffiti that says, I fuck Arsis <laughs> cool. and he has the voiceover goes, I fuck Arsis who fucks Arsis? And then
3: how can we not mention the slaughtered lamb? I mean It is my local. <laughs> <laughs> is it? No, though it is in it is in Surrey. It's called the Black Swan, I believe, and it's near it's not far from Guildford, as I recall correctly. Really? Ah. Yes. Yes, indeed. indeed. See, why was that in your film fact section? You might have won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: I should have done that. <gasps> see,
3: my I look, I very much enjoyed the saloon sequence at the end of Unforgiven. I'm just not sure it has a name. It's just a saloon. You know, that's... Um, I killed just about anything that walked or crawled at one time or another.
1: <laughs> I keep trying to think of more like British films, like older British films, uh, pub scenes. So things like like Passport to payment code definitely has a knees up down the pub mm-hmm. when they reopen because they've basically found a loophole in rationing it was the whole sort of idea of that film um but other than that i'm tr- i'm really really just sticking and i know i'm missing out on lots
0: i'm not great on names but i know mm-hmm. for, i know there's for example there's pub scenes in and get carter
1: but there must be pub scenes in whiskey galore i mean by definition almost there must be pub scenes in whiskey galore so i feel like, oh oh and while we're in scotland Begbie throwing the glass Mm. in train spotting.
3: Mm-hmm. That's a great pub scene. Yeah. That's a great pub scene. If we can broaden the definition to include tea houses, I very much enjoyed the Z the Zhang fight in Crashing Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Uh, great. Great.
1: It's broadening <laughs> the definition beyond any reasonable range, surely. <laughs>
3: I don't know. As people who don't generally drink, I would have thought a tea house is very much more our jam. Oh, it's so, you massively know. <laughs>
1: more our jam, especially if it serves jam and, you know, Scotland. But I just...
3: <laughs> any cake shop scenes you'd like to talk about? <laughs> That's oh amazing. my
1: god, the whole of Marie Antoinette.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of
2: another MCU bar pub scene uh, in Far From Home when uh, Jake Gyllenhaal Hall has that big speech revealing that. Ah, oh, oh yes, there.
3: the revelation. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's good, good. Yeah, that, that, is a, that is a kind of themed, like, isn't it like a German themed? Oh, is it? He, he's in Prague. He's in Prague, isn't it? Oh, yeah. fine. But so it, it was... has that kind of. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. It,
3: it, it has a vibe going on. Yeah, yeah. it feels you know, almost like the, a. The only
2: other sort of bar slash pub scenes I keep thinking of are sort of American. So I think of Django Unchained um, and that sort of great scene where they have to sort of call their sheriff to meet uh, Schultz and Django in the bar. That's great. I think of The Magnificent Seven, the most recent one, with Denzel sort of uh, entering the bar and just commanding every eye in the room and then taking out the bad guy. It's awesome.
0: Well yeah, I mean yeah, again, you could throw a rock at a at a western and hit a, a great saloon sequence. Um hmm. You know, I've mentioned Top Secret in this podcast before, which is perhaps the only film in the world to have an underwater fight in a bar. Um, Mm. So uh, if you haven't seen that before, it's absolutely amazing. (laughs) It's wild. (laughs) Um, But for me, guys, it's, you know, the Winchester, and it it comes down to the Winchester, and it comes down to the slaughtered lamb, Mm. you know, which has, you know, what's that? What's that star on the wall? And uh, that incredible, you know, you made me miss line from, from oh, david schofield yeah yeah and it, it's referenced in daredevil
2: precisely so it's it's, uh, so it's weird it's so good to hear the word winchester and not have it be associated with supernatural mm. it's i just-
1: know right so bizarre i mean but if there was a problem you would go to the winchesters and wait for it all to blow over that would be a, a solid solid plan so.
0: surprised no one mentioned cocktail
1: That's a bar. can't be a pub. By definition, it's a bar. It's a cocktail bar. I've opened it up.
0: I've opened it up. Obviously, I've opened it up. I'm so
1: confused now.
0: I've opened it up to include restaurants, uh, theatres, <laughs> anywhere you have a bit of live performance. King's Place in yes. London, where we do our live podcasts, that would also be acceptable. You've opened it up to include
3: pubs, bars, and basically <laughs> everywhere, much like the UK government.
1: Hey. <laughs> so I
0: have to ask of the uh, pretty much the four teetotalers in this virtual room, uh, are we all going to get shitfaced this weekend? What, what are you going <laughs> to do? the first time
1: ever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, I am planning to do some work this weekend. YOLO! <laughs> I might go for a picnic though, so.
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, uh, so we're not going to pubs. I, I, I'm not sure I'm going to pubs ever again, if I'm honest with you. I, I didn't much go to them beforehand, but uh, but now I have even less incentive. Yeah, pint of COVID-19, please, barkeep. <laughs> <laughs> And it's really difficult to drink through the mask.
1: Really dr- difficult to drink through the mask. So few of them have attached straws. So, <laughs> Although
3: Bane's genuinely does, so that could work out quite well.
1: Well, he
0: has one of those bendy straws that goes sort of out
1: of his mask. <laughs> I think there's those
3: little pipes on the front. One of them bends <laughs> down and he can just dip it into his drink.
1: It's like a still suit.
3: Mm. <laughs> I'm
1: weatherspoon reckoning. <laughs>
3: <laughs> You're
0: merely adopted the Weatherspoons. So I was born in the darkness. Anyway, that is it. For our listener question, I'm sure we missed off loads and loads of pubs. I'm sure you were shouting at the uh, at the um, podcast device of your choice. Uh, do write in and tell us, uh, correct us where we went wrong, or if we missed out anything egregious, any horrible glaring oversights, then do write in and let us know. But if you want to have your question read out in the Emperor podcast, as the aforementioned, what the hell are their names? The aforementioned, I've lost it. Where's the question? Here it is. Uh, the aforementioned at JW Colsey and Mecca Lardzilla uh, did, to their cost you can get in touch with us via well basically only one method at the moment it's twitter uh just wait for me to send out a panicked shout every thursday that helps or you can slide into my dms or or just send in questions using the hashtag empire podcast because there we will see lows that is for sure Right, time for one more guest before we bring this to a halt. And it is another ruddy legend making a return to the podcast. Ride Like a Girl is the true story of Michelle Payne, an Australian jockey who defied the odds and a horribly sexist industry to win a big horsey race. I don't have the full details of what the race is called. Melbourne but Cup. Trust me, that'll do. That's the one. The <laughs> big horsey race, mate. Uh, she's played in the movie by Teresa Palmer and her father... Paddy Payne sounds like a bookmaker isn't is played by Sam Neill a man whose constant stream of songs wisdom warmth kindness and daft short films on Twitter and Instagram have done so much to ease spirits during lockdown so naturally I jumped at the chance to have Sam back in the pod even though he's in Australia and I had to get up really early to do this and did I ask him about Event Horizon what do you think enjoy technological faff today but there we go all right Sam, which would you want to do first podcast or magazine i'm gonna go podcast i'll go podcast today all right i'll give you a big introduction and away we will go delighted to be joined on the emperor podcast in lockdown of course because we're responsible that way uh by a man who is keeping us all sane during lockdown the great sam neill hi chris
4: how are things things are fine um uh i've i've actually um been out of lockdown for a couple of weeks where we're we're sort of moving around um uh in a gin, in a sort of ginger fashion um gingerly is that that word? and um mm-hmm. and um being um careful of course um but life is is returning to some sort of uh semi normality here i suppose of some kind no, never i think no, nothing's ever going to be quite the same but um uh, but, you know, restaurants are open and, and, and th- these sort of things. So um, one isn't quite as, uh, you know, that, that dreaded isolation that p- people um, are finding so difficult, understandably, um, seems to have gone for a while. But now, now we're having a spike. I'm, I'm, um, I'm in Australia at the moment, and there's a spike in infections in Victoria that no one quite understands. And so um, it's time for super caution again, and um, we'll see how all that pans out, you know? Well, fingers crossed. Uh, one of the things that uh, has been good
0: about lockdown, if I can use that word, uh, has been your creativity and the way that you have taken it upon yourself to uh, to produce short films, with a little bit of Sam Neil nudity thrown in there for good yes. measure. <laughs> what was that about, Sam? <laughs>
4: Yeah, um, well, there, there was, there's, um, we've got two more in the works. And um, it's been fun to um, – actually, the next one is, um, it, it is actually outside of my apartment. And um, uh, I went up and stayed with my friends Brian Brown and Rachel Ward, and we made a little film together. Um, so but actually on location – quarantine films are actually on location with three actors in the same room at the same time. So – uh it's almost like making a real film again instead of by by remote. No, but that's all been fun and um um uh, uh stopped me from going completely barking mad on my own here and in, in my apartment, you know.
0: I, I can't imagine what it's like. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in lockdown with my wife, and so I've been okay in that regard for the last few months. But I can't imagine what it's like to be in a room with someone else. Uh, you know, at the moment, I'm watching movies, and if someone touches someone else, I, I, I'm like, this is beautiful. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, uh, even if it's just a simple handshake.
4: It is extraordinary. When, when you're watching films and you think, why, why are those people sitting so close together? And, oh, my God, they're going to kiss. What do you remember when people used to kiss? I, 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 I just watched Will Ferrell's film last night, um, and uh, they kissed at the end. You know, it's sort of it's sort of COVID-safe all the way through, and they nearly kiss, and then right at the end they kiss. Applause from my sofa, you know. <laughs>
0: So these uh, these short films that you've been making, Sam, are have been a delight as well as the ukulele sessions and the, the poems. And uh, I love the way you start each video with just a simple "How are you?" Because you, you, it's it's nice to care.
4: Yeah. Well, I realized early on how sort of um, how sort of it, we were we were walking with such rapidity in, into an unknown future, and no one quite knew what everything meant. Um. How serious stuff was? No one knew the consequences of anything, um, and people just seemed so afraid and 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 frightened. And but more than anything, more than anything, alone. And I, I just think that's one of the best things that, that you can say to people is how How are you? You know, how are you? And uh, one of the sort of un unrecognized um problems that goes with all this is actually mental health as much as anything and and now we're getting more attuned to what mental health means and um that simple question how are you is is really um has been sort of weirdly underrated for such a long time it's so important you know it's so important. I, I love it when people say, mm. How are you? I mean, really, how are you? <laughs> Has this
0: and this is not a criticism, Sam. This is not a criticism. Okay. I'm Has this reinforced for you the importance of a director?
4: <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, of course it is. Um but that's but that's always been um the uh, the mission of uh, Cinema Quarantina. Is that it should it should have bad <laughs> bad continuity um Hugh, who's the editor, has to make the mess the best of a mess you know and um uh, and and we should never really be on the same page that's the point of it um yeah, they're just a Really, yeah.
0: <laughs> has it been tough? To get into the character of sam Neil. <laughs>
4: The char- Do you think there's a, there's a sort of there's a continuum of a character in there as the sort of beat beaten down guy who gets who gets easily bullied by <laughs> by like his own phone. Um, yeah, that's probably the real me. I'm, it's sort of leaking out. In a sense.
0: Cinema is truth, <laughs> and cinema quarantino is yeah. truth, quarantino uh, as well. Um, and but talk of talk of directors, Sam brings me because I'm the king of, of segways, smooth mm. segways. I should do this for a living uh, to ride like a girl because uh, in this you're directed by the great actor Rachel Griffiths, who's making her directorial debut with yeah. this.
4: And, and um, I have to say. She's one of the most interesting directors i've worked with because actors can give other actors notes that you don't get from other people you know i love getting i love being directed actually uh going back to your earlier question um i think it's um it's a great gift uh um when you're going into character and 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 oftentimes when you've been around as long as as long as I have, which is about three t- three lifetimes on on the screen, um, you turn up and and directors sort of assume that, that y- you know what you're doing. Well, you sort of know, but um, it's really their story that you're serving. And uh, I love getting, um, it, you know, the best possible direction is when someone says, that was great, but let's try it a different way or let's, flip it on its head and see what happens. And Rachel was very good at that.
0: It strikes me, um, I haven't spoken to you over the years a a number of times, but it it strikes me that that you are a very prepared actor. So you turn up the set and you know how you're going to play a scene or a moment. Um, Is is that, is that true? And if, if it is true, is it easy for you to roll with the punches in such a, in in a way?
4: Uh, I not look, I've, what i've learned is that you shouldn't be over prepared actually and you know you, you need to learn your lines you need to you need to understand what the scene is but if you're not leaving any room for the moment for the for the, the possibility of 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 um of some uh some kind of spontaneity of, of and and you're not prepared to be because being prepared doesn't prepare you for being in the room with the other actor and that's Critical uh, um, what the other actor's giving you, um, what um, and that um, to and fro thing is 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 something you can't and shouldn't prepare for. That happens on the day, and when when it, when it when it happens, good, it's great.
0: Another thing as well about ride like a girl, which is interesting, is that you are playing a real person. You're playing Patty Payne. The real patty Payne, um and I, I there's a lovely featurette that's on youtube where you actually meet patty you know and you spend a little bit of time with him w- was that important uh, to you to get a, a sense of him?
4: i had a whole day with him i think probably what it what isn't included in that uh little bit of footage is is when we were just having a chat and he he looked me up and down and he said i've never seen any of your movies mate they tell me it go pretty good. <laughs> that's that's okay, <so> <laughs> yeah. You you do have a responsibility when you're playing real people not to make not, not to make a goose out of them, you know. And and he's hmm. a he's a man I admire a lot. He brought up, was it nine children? I always forget, but um ten, yeah. I think. Ten, is it? Is it okay. yeah, ten. Yeah, happy to be corrected on that one. But an awful lot of children, <laughs> and his wife died um, w- when the when the little ones were very small. So um, a, a lot of that child raising was pretty much single handed, and um, uh, that's a big enough achievement in itself. But um, he he was, of course, a, a wonderful horse trainer. Understands horses like the back of his hand. I mean it was it was a it was a great day to spend with him which just walked the track and talked about horses i come from a bit of a horsey family myself so to be able to um i, I just love time i love spending time with people who really know what they're talking about anything but with horses um horses are so, so mysterious they're so so peculiar you know and who knows what's going on in a horse's head but but someone like Paddy that's been working with them for I don't know sixty years or something It's t- t- marvellous to have that kind of some of that knowledge permeate across here. You
0: know. Are you comfortable in horses, Sam? Then, if you come from a horsey uh, horsey background, so to speak. I
4: I love uh, being on horseback. I'm very comfortable with that, and it's one of the great pleasures of life. I think is is going out for a, a ride. Um, but this is probably the horsiest film I've ever made, but I never get to ride in it, ironically. Um, my my parents were very, they always had horses. They were very horsey people. I didn't particularly like horses. I'd had to learn to ride for a film for was my brilliant career, which was at the start of my career pretty much. And um, hmm. so I had to learn for that. And in the course of learning uh, to ride, I realised uh, what an idiot i was there was it was so invigorating and marvelous to be on horseback
0: so and it's useful as well it's one of those actors' skills on your c v or your your
4: resume that you haven 't lied about really useful and you're absolutely right um almost every actor um puts on the thing you know uh plays cricket uh rides horses you know can joust um or almost all of which are completely fictitious and you find yourself alongside an actor who clearly hasn't been on a horse before and is going to fall at any moment. But yeah, I counted it up once and I uh last time I counted it was something like ten films that I, I'd had had to actually write in. So yeah, it's a very useful skill. So Paddy
0: tells you that he has never seen you in any movies and <laughs> he may he may not know you from Adam Sam, which is frankly a disgrace, but uh but we'll let him we'll let him off. We'll let him yeah. off. Um so say, for example, that like you're putting together a three-film box set of Sam Neill's career to give to Paddy to catch him up, to get him up to speed in your career. What, what, what films are you choosing? Oh, my God. That's such a
4: that's such a strange question. Um, <laughs> um, Thank you. Well, um, I might give him a Cry in the Dark, because I was playing a real character in that, um, also known as Evil Angels, a film about the, the Chamberlain um, the Chamberlains uh directed by Fred Skepsy, um, which notoriously uh, became you know an, uh, an a dingo's took my baby uh, mm-hmm. because I was playing a real car- i was playing a real person then and I felt a, a great responsibility in that particular film because um, in my view these poor people had been done a grave injustice um, and uh, I still feel that way and and Paul Michael who's died now. Um, I, I, I wanted to make sure he didn't look like a goose. Mm. What else might I I put up? Um, Dean Spanley because it's a it's an animal film, and uh, yeah. you know I played a, a dog in it. <laughs> what would be the third? Um, oh, let's uh, let's do Hunt for the People, because it's a, a New Zealand film. Paddy, of course, is a New Zealander, and um, and. Um, he'd be familiar with a lot of that territory, and indeed with a lot of those characters. You know, he'd know them well.
0: That is a cracking triple bill, by the way. Uh, although I, I feel I have to uh, uh, censure you a little bit on your uh, on your omission of Event Horizon, because <laughs> because Sam,
4: I can't film people really love that film. Uh, they really, it's it's just I don't know what it is. What what the hell? It, you know, you think some things. Some things just die; they never seen again, and that film is just—you cannot kill it. What the hell is it? I don't get it. It's—it's it's a strange one
0: because it's—it's it's having a, a renaissance. <clears throat> it's having a real renaissance uh, of late. But Sam, I've been on the Event Horizon train since the beginning. That movie gave me and my university flatmates nightmares for two weeks straight. We became obsessed with that film. Uh obsessed with it. Uh and I mentioned it pretty much every single week on the Emperor Podcast, much to the chagrin of my co-hosts and listeners. But uh it means I cannot let you go on this podcast without asking you at least one tangential event Mm rising question. So we had Jason Isaacs on the show a couple weeks ago. And uh, I had been made aware that he had for the Event Horizon uh rap party made all the, his fellow cast members a collage of pictures from the movie. So my question is twofold. Do you still have that? Do you remember it?
4: I remember it, but I don't have it. It's it's good. It's it's got buried somewhere. Um I do remember that though. You're, you're not a
0: sentimentalist. No <laughs> <laughs> you wanted to bury Event Horizon as far away from me as it possibly no, could. No, no,
4: I, look, I, I, I enjoyed making that film a lot. If, if I have one criticism of it, I thought it was, it was, it was, um, I thought the suspense had gone, the, the suspense that we shot. It, it was cut in such, was such kind of, um, yeah, I, I didn't like the editing. I just thought, you know how um, in Alien, it sort of, the, the suspense is is about what you don't see, and it's about waiting for something to happen. But I thought they kind of lost that some, somehow in the edit with Event Horizon, and it 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 it, it sort of goes at, at a kind of breakneck speed, and and um, that's the one thing that I regret about it. But I I um, enjoyed making it a lot. Um, there was only one moment that was difficult for me. We we're all in spacesuits, and I can't remember what the, what the scene was, but I suddenly got claustrophobia. It's the only time that happened to me on a set, and I had to rip off. <laughs> I just couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I don't know what the hell happened, but it was a really frightening moment. Yeah, and and the nudity was, of course, was terribly difficult. Uh, um, I end up as this sort of mon- monster with, um, and my genitalia have been cut out. <laughs> So I had, that was, we shot that over maybe 10 days, two weeks. And I would come in at, I think, two in the morning and I'd go into makeup and they'd cover me with all this stuff. And I'd be, I'd be ready by 10. So it was, it was, it was eight hours in makeup, eight hours. And then, then they'd cover me with blood and then they'd take me over to the bond stage. Which is enormous, it's the size of Heathrow, and it's midwinter. I was freezing cold, and they had a one bar heater and there's me naked, extremely vulnerable they'd have a one bar heater, and I could sort of warm my front oh, my back was freezing cold and but then all the blood would dry up so and 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 I'd turn around and they'd respray me on this side. I get my warm. It was it was hellish. And that, but every second day I'd get off, you know, just to recover, and then I'd come in for the same ordeal again. And it's very hard to know where you're moving into when you're playing someone who's turned into something absolutely demonic. There's there's nothing in one's life to prepare you for that, you know. If you're you're a horse trainer and you've been around horses, you know a little bit about what you're going to do. (laughs) But turning into a demon is whole um, uncharted territory. It's very, very scary.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yes, I can imagine it is. Um, the last thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go is, uh, in light of the Jason Isaacs rap gift, what is your rap gift game? Are you uh, are you generous or do you just buy a chop lot of mugs
4: for your fellow cast and crew and let that be the end of it? Well, if I like them, if they're particularly fortunate, I'll give them some of my wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's as high as honor, an honor as one can possibly expect. Yeah,
0: and and do you charge them a, a, a half price? <laughs> Is it a generous? It's rate? It's a
4: generous, generous gift. Yeah, very fortunate.
0: <laughs> well, uh, Sam Neal, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure. A man who has, in the middle of this lockdown, he's already got horse rider on his CV, but uh, he can now play ukulele. He can now play Bruno Mars and ukulele. He can he can read poetry, and he can cook a duck l'orange. Well, maybe not quite that, but uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, thanks, very thanks much, so much. Tim. And that is Sam Neill, and that is it for part one of this week's bumper b- bumper jam packed two part podcast. Join us in part two when we'll be discussing the week's movie news, reviewing a little film called Hamilton? Ham- Hamilton? 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 Is that right? Am I getting that right? And some other films that have the misfortune of not being that particular film. And of course, talking to Ferner Bloody Herzog. See you on the other side, Mandalorian. Bye.